Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this episode in the red corner. To quote John Paul Sartre, hell is other people. Well, this movie proves that sentiment is even more applicable when actual hell is right outside the front door. We're off to Hollywood, or should that be Hellywood? Probably not. For 2013's, this is the end. Seth! <laughs> I have the best weekend ever planned. James Franco's having a giant party. <laughs> yes! Everybody drunk out. Oh my god, if I don't fuck Michael Sarah tonight, I'm gonna blow my brains out. What's up, Brianna? What? Fucking pale, 110 pounds, hairless, probably has a huge cock. Don't fucking touch my bumper, yeah. bitch. Yeah. Oh, a weird face. So hot. Everybody in the club Oh, what did you just fucking blow on me? Don't worry, it's just heroin. Are you shitting me? No, I'm just kidding, it's cocaine. But that's still very bad. What the f- While in the blue corner, small town Middle England becomes even more terrifying. As a bunch of high school friends go on a legendary pub crawl in their hometown of Newton Haven, or should that be Newton Helven? No. It's the final part of the Cornetto trilogy from 2013. It's the world's end. Ever had one of those nights that starts out like any other, but ends up being the best night of your life? I did. Our goal that night was simple. 12 pubs, 12 pints. From the first post to the world's end. But that night, we never made it. I saw the boys the other day. Uh We're going to go back to Newton Haven. Why? Five guys, 12 pubs, 50 pints. 60 pints. (laughs) Steady on, you alkie. This is our chance to finally finish what we started. (laughs) We are going to do the Golden Mile, and this time we are going to see it through to the bitter end. Or lager end. So what connects these two movies, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome to this third remote episode of the legendary Clash of the Titles podcast. Thank you for joining us. So this week, as you just heard, we're doing This is the End versus The World's End. These were your choices, Victoria. 
tell us a little more about where this wonderful idea came from. You know that we're really good friends, you and me, and me and Chris, and you and Chris as well, to a, a letter extent. <laughs> what think... a weird way of saying that. <laughs> like we're all separately friends, but not as a group, we're not yeah. friends. I just yeah. I find the sincerity very difficult, as you know. Um, I think lately we've sort of drifted apart a bit. Um, and I think what's going to make me say what I want to say to you is a global apocalypse. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah? You get me, yes? So this is really therapy. Yeah, that's what I was... I've been thinking about that this week. And then I thought, hey, what? who else feels like that? And I thought, oh, those guys in This Is The End and also The World's End, they feel the same as me right now. Sometimes it takes impending doom to make you have a heart to heart with the people that really matter am i right yeah but don't these films also suggest that reconnecting with old friends will get you killed and i'm not saying that i don't think that but i just thought it'd be nice to see it on film i think chris would be the first to go <laughs> i'm uh, just saying i think i think he would i'm the fastest i'm the Are you? <laughs> I'm... When, have we, when have we tested that when when what is your evidence when you say to his, who's round is it? And then he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see him for dust. <laughs> when the social distance is over, do you want to have a race, Alex? I'm hang up for that. I really, uh, really want to have a race. <laughs> literally, literally not how I expected this uh, this to begin. But hell, yes, I want to race you. I'm like, I'm like lightning, man. Honestly, like I look like lightning because I've got a skinny, pale body, and also I run like lightning. Oh, I'm so bang up for this. I am so bang up for it. I cannot Seriously. wait. I didn't think that would be my most exciting invitation post lockdown, but it is. <laughs> You're going to be so embarrassed, Chris. I cannot tell you. I, honestly, like I've got weights on my ankles now, and I'm doing leg lifts, which is a thing, uh, just to like get in practice. All right, bring on the dense bones. Bring on the dense bones. How brilliant! Would you two like to have a guess at the connection um, aside from what I've just said? Blue light, blue, blue light. Both of these movies, one of their focal points involves blue light. That is a good one, actually, but it's not right. Um, Chris? Uh, unfortunately, what I had written down was uh, blue light spells danger. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. <laughs> and yet I got in there first, much like our upcoming race. <laughs> uh, any more for any more? No, that was it. Oh, it's oh, very that's simple. all I got. Yeah, it's very simple this week. Uh, the end is nigh, so let's get wasted. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we do these chronologically, obviously. Yeah. Uh, they did come out the same year, though. Both of them came out in 2013. In the UK, they were separated by a month. Uh, the World's End came out in July, but This Is The End came out in June. So I'll be starting this week, if that's all right with you guys. Love Go for it. All right. This week, I was given This Is The End about what happens... When you're trapped in your immaculate mansion and only your hilarious A-list pals are there for company, along with your collection of priceless art. Sorry, I'm I'm reading my diary entry for yesterday. Um, <laughs> I must have lost the introduction, so let's just crack on. Do you, do, you, do you feel like these guys, Alex? Do you think you're like these guys? <laughs> these Hollywood A-listers? <laughs> I am trapped in a small office with a dog 
that is very, very flatulent. So I'm breathing <laughs> in dog waste air. So no is the short answer. <laughs> Come on, get the hell! Nick! It's too late for you! You're already in the hole! Get it! Get the fuck off of me, Aziz! The sheriff's office is urging people to stay in their homes right now. Siegel's dead, Krumholz is dead, Michael Sarah's dead. In the bed? already going crazy out there, guys. I'm not leaving, okay? I'm a victim. When I was a kid, I had man titties. The bullies held me down. They titty fucked me. We are actors. We pretend to be hard, man. Yeah. We solved this baby shit. Helicopter. It's gonna be fine. Yeah. Oh, you okay? No, I'm not okay. Fuck your house, Franco. What's he got to say? We should just stay in here, fortify this bitch, and take inventory of all the food and shit we have. We got 12 bottles of water, 56 beers, half ounce sour diesel, one ounce of shrooms, CT Crunch, a Milky Way. Can I have that Milky Way? No, you can't have the Milky Way. It's my special food. I like it. I want some of the Milky Way. I'd be pretty bummed if I don't at least get a bite of the Milky Way. What you want, son? This is my king. This is my king. Get out of the way. What you want, honey? What the hell? Oh, my God! Emma Watson showed up. There are six of us, you cannot rob us! I'm not fucking around! Ah, look at the drinks! Hermione just stole all of our shit. Ah, please, you gotta let me in! Things have gone crazy out here! I'm sorry, we just don't know you, man. You could be like a looter or a rapist or a titty fucker. I'm not a rapist! You wanna titty fuck us? If you want me to titty fuck you, I will! So good! Oh, you love it! There's something out here! Did you guys see this film at the cinema? No. Uh, no, I'm guessing Vicky didn't. Alex, for work? Uh, no, I don't. Actually, sh I must have done. Wait, I can't remember. Yes. Weirdly, I don't remember watching it at the cinema, but I think I must have done. But I remember watching it at home and having a jolly good laugh. It's a funny film. Yeah, you kind of suggested after we picked the films last week that you'd seen this film quite a lot of times. Yeah, no, oh, that's why I can remember watching it at home. I've seen it numerous times. Don't remember seeing it in the cinema. But, um, yeah, it's it's one of those go-to movies that I sort of go, oh, you know when you want some something that you... I have a habit of re-watching films that I've already seen uh, because they're like a warm duvet that you... Like your favourite duvet that you wrap around you and it's snug and you know what to expect and you're not going to be surprised or disappointed. So this is one of those movies on my list of films that I will re-watch and re-watch and re-watch for comfort. That's lovely. Thanks. It, is. it feels it feels quite nice. Um, shall I do a bit of backstory on how this movie came to be? Go for it. So uh, This Is The End came about... Or are from two different ideas. Uh, the most famous one um, is obviously the short film that uh, Jay Baruchel and Seth Rogen, who star in the film, did called Jay and Seth versus the Apocalypse. Have you seen this film, guys? No. Yes. So it was a film that they um, wrote uh, with their... Uh, Seth Rogen wrote with his childhood friend and their writing partner, Evan Goldberg, who they also wrote This Is The End and directed This Is The End. Uh, they wrote it uh, with a guy called Jason Stone. 
and he directed it. And it's a weird one because I sort of did a bit of digging about Jason Stone and the trail goes very cold uh, in terms of where his story ends up with This Is The End. He got an executive producer credit on This Is The End, but that's about it. He's gone on to direct in TV and he did a 2014 Susan Sarandon religious serial killer movie called The Calling, which I actually have seen. It's all right. Um, Vicky, I know you're a fan of uh, taglines. I think this one might disappoint you. There's no rule of three. It's a religious serial killer movie, The Calling, tagline, pray, P-R-A-Y, yeah. for the prey, P-R-E-Y. Mm. Mm. It's not it's great. O- it's okay. Yeah, it's just okay. Much like the movie. Anyway, that's Jason Stone. So... This movie uh, got quite a lot of views on YouTube. They put it on YouTube. They called it a trailer, even though it was a short film. It's about eight minutes long. It's pretty dark. It's not really very funny. It's kind of grubby and depressing. It's just the two of them in a grubby apartment uh, as the apocalypse has happened outside. So that's one aspect. They turn that into this feature and they credit it. At the end of the movie, it says, based on an idea, a a short film by Jason Stone. Um, The other idea comes from something else that uh, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen were thinking of, which was they wanted to do a film where Seth Rogen and Buster Rhymes were filming a music video and a movie, respectively, on the Sony lot and Ant-Men attacked from the centre of the Earth. That was the other idea they had. In the end, they combined the two to create This Is The End and replaced, in Seth Rogen's words, their actual friends instead of Buster Rhymes no disrespect to Buster Rhymes. <laughs> and that's how it came to be. Does anyone have anything that I might have missed out in the genesis of this film? No, I don't think I so. I you're mean... talking to me. <laughs> I was, Vicky. I was. You, I, I don't know how much research you do. You might have gone, well, he's actually missed a real, a real piece of great trivia there. Chris? I mean, she could have watched the short film on which it was based, but fine. <laughs> I could have done that. That's that's fair enough. <laughs> I just didn't, but I really could have done. <laughs> um, just in terms of the making of the movie, what, what I, I I liked their working process. Um, these two guys, and it was interesting. They were saying they were really badly burned by their their experience on the Green Hornet, where suddenly they'd made all this money for the studio, and then suddenly the studio was interfering in their sort of creative process. And so they said for this one, they'd figured out the number for the budgets uh, below which no one would bother them. And so they were on the exact limit of that, which is, I think, why there's so much crazy stuff in this film that you wouldn't normally see in a studio film. It's also uh, one of those movies, uh, much like some of the best comedies that we've spoken about, where there's a hell of a lot of improvisation. I think Seth Rogen's quoted as saying 50% of what you see on screen was the actual script we wrote, and 50% was just people having fun. Uh, and we'll get on to a couple of those moments. Uh, so uh, let's go through the movie. Um, love the start of this movie. I think the bit where Jay Baruchel arrives from Canada to visit Seth Rogen, childhood friends, or not childhood friends, but very close friends, much like in real life, uh, they worked on the sitcom Undeclared together, the Judd Apatow sitcom Undeclared, was how they met. Uh, Seth has been in LA, Jay has been in Canada. He arrives. The way Seth Rogen greets him is so note perfect on how you greet a friend when you haven't seen them for a while, but they still fit into that category of they're one of your best friends. Really, really awkward, 
and the look in the eyes of both of them is, how soon can we get drunk so this stops being awkward? <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I feel like that every time I we get together for a good. podcast, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you lovers. Um, what did you make of the start? I'll tell you what distracted me. And if you've seen it a million times, again, I've I'd, um, been quite lazy this week and I just couldn't be shitted to rewind it just to double check. But um, when Seth Rogen takes Jay Baruchel back to his house and he's proving what a good friend he is and he's laid out a table of amazing treats and he's like spelt out Jay in reefers, which is so thoughtful. But mm. does he have a bag of Starburst, but they're only the red Starburst? Because if that's true, that is a real fucking friend. Wow. Um, For non-Starburst eaters like myself, what's the difference? What? What? I don't eat Star... Yeah, there's a lot of information for you to process there. I'm using my platform on this podcast to say, uh, my name's Alex, and I don't eat Starburst. You do not eat any sweets at all? Yeah, of course I eat sweets. You're an opal fruits guy, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got my marathon bar and my opal fruits and my Jif. You know, I eat, I drink Jif. Yeah, just, don't drink Jif. Well, newsflash, friends, they've gone back. I don't. I can't even believe I'm saying this. They've gone back to being opal fruits. Big news. Anyway, the red ones are the what? strawberry ones. Yeah, I know what they have. Honestly, I saw it with my own eyes. With my own eyes, they're now opal fruits. No, they. You need to stop shopping at that news agent that hasn't bought any new stock <laughs> in 20 years. Yeah, where I get my multi-pack Diet Cokes from individuals now. <laughs> Red Starburst and Strawberry Starburst, they're the best Starburst, apart from the lime ones, but the lime ones are the ones that you come to with old age. Starburst, incidentally, are also the only thing I used to eat when I was smoking a lot of weed because they really quench, you know, when you get like the burn in the back of your throat. A Starburst mm. is going to fix that out for you like so quickly. That's why it's there. But Red Starburst, I didn't even know you could just get bags of Red Starburst. I feel like you've just stepped off the set of This Is The End. You know that <laughs> burn you get in the back of your throat when you're smoking? That Starburst really quenches it. There's <laughs> a reason they're really popular with big man children <laughs> like those two and me. Not that I don't do that anymore, right. but you know. I disagree. It's entirely subjective. It's whatever flavor sweet you like, you want that Starburst. Like maybe Jay in the movie just likes strawberry Starburst, but I always like the orange Starburst. I like orange sweets in any sweet. God, like that's what, what I'd always go for. They're clearly the worst. There's something wrong <laughs> with what, you. Yeah. I've heard that before, but you know, that's why I'm always happy at sweet parties. At children's parties, you mean? <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say children's parties. Hey, kids, can I come in? <laughs> There's, uh, anyway. have, you watched the, have you watched the outtakes from this film? No, I'd like to no, see that, actually. Yeah, there's a moment where, just you made me think of it, there's a moment where Jonah Hill's describing uh, how weird Michael Serra is, and he says that he, he likes going to beauty pageants, and he... He dresses up like a little girl and puts makeup on and enters beauty pageants, kid beauty pageants. It's really dark, <laughs> really funny, <laughs> really funny. <laughs> um, I uh, like this opening because, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the old cause and effect and foreshadowing. There's a lot going on when they get back to that apartment with the Backstreet Boys playing and there's the sinkhole on the news and they're talking about how hot Channing Tatum is at one point. And there's a mask yeah. in the background that's like the devil uh, that we're going to see later on. So I like that there's lots of little sort of Easter eggs set up in that opening scene. 
Yeah, there's also, although it's a little bit further on, when we get into the party, James Franco does that thing where he basically announces what the end of the film is going to be when he's pitching Pineapple Express 2 to Seth Rogen. And he goes, he goes, Danny's trying to kill us and I sacrifice myself. And you're like, oh, that's the end of the movie. So, yeah, there's a lot of foreshadowing. Let's talk about the party. One of the greatest on-screen parties in cinema history. Yes or no? It looks incredible. I would be very, very happy to be stuck there. Yeah, I like it because there's lots going on all over the place. Like, I think sometimes you'll see a party on screen and you'll just sort of go on one person's journey through the party. But there's lots of shit happening in different rooms and and I like the fact that it sort of really captures that. It feels like a real party. It feels like a real party. You've got, like, Jason Segel, like, talking to Kevin Hart, doing that brilliant stuff about, well, what you'd imagine is how I met your mother. And he's going, yeah, so my... TV wife opens the fridge and the cake's gone and I walk in and I got a bit of frosting around my mouth and she's like, where's the cake? And I'm like, I don't know what cake. And you're like, oh my God, that's so good. And throughout this movie where they are either outrightly referencing or alluding to real world projects, it's brilliant. But you've mentioned him already. Uh, Michael Serra, it's one of the greatest performances (laughs) of any comedy ever. He is horrifically wonderful at this party yeah i mean the stuff the stuff with rihanna is good the stuff in the bathroom's good um uh i don't i don't know i don't think it's that good really yeah I mean, because he play, he's playing so i mean it's 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 really join the dots kind of stuff who's the sweetest nicest like character like on screen like who always plays the naive like wide-eyed oh okay guy it's michael Sarah. so what better person to have at a party blowing coke into christopher mitz plass's face guy does this coke smell funny (laughs) (laughs) that is funny to me (laughs) i think the the, when he's in when michael says that impaled on the lap that's the funny bit when he's impaled on the lamppost and he's like is someone taking my phone (laughs) and he's like oh no i found it i'm so embarrassed and just (laughs) Because even if you're going to flip it and have him be like an awful wanker, to have a two-dimensional awful wanker is funnier than a one-dimensional awful wanker. Um, so I do, yeah, it's really good and it's really surprising, but I don't think it's that amazing. It's like the uh, same stuff with like Emma Watson. Like All the reviews of this film are like, Emma Watson is going to blow your mind. She's so not Hermione. And it's like, all right, what? Because she says the word rape and then that's kind of it. Like It's not the most incredible steam-stealing like, performance I've ever seen in my life. She does have that line though, which is, um, which I, I only <laughs> picked up on this time, uh, where she goes, "I spent three days hiding in a drain pipe," which <laughs> is just a great, a great line. Because I think I, I mean, I assumed it was a, a joke about how Hollywood actresses are all expected to be so thin. Oh, so okay, cool. <laughs> no. I just, I just didn't pick up on that, I suppose. Yeah, no, I didn't. I got it. I thought I got it this time and I hadn't done previously. I don't imagine it was one of those open sewers she was talking about. I guess it could have been. <laughs> Do you think that? I don't think that was the joke. What, the, the thin the thin joke? Do you not? No. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I think it's funnier it the way funnier. I've interpreted it. So uh, you're welcome. This is the end, filmmakers. That's the uh, so... <laughs> so the uh, the party then, um, we've done Michael Sarah. Oh yeah, uh, just that little touch that he does where uh, he's in the bathroom and Jay opens the door and he goes, "You need to use the toilet, honey." Go That's ahead. brilliant. Yeah, that is brilliant. <laughs> I forgot about that bit. 
that's the thing because it's the layers it's not what's going on in the bathroom it's that he calls him honey that is really funny <laughs> exactly and yeah. he's sitting on a carton of drink he's sucking on a carton of drink as well that's weird I, I, yeah yeah when he gets i think it's like a capri sun maybe <laughs> and he offers it down to the girl who's on her knees and running goes do you want to sip honey it's sip time <laughs> it's like uh, yeah um, so then the sinkhole opens in the front garden here the rapture takes place um although first sorry we get the big action sequence um on melrose that they rebuilt uh in new orleans where the film was shot um i actually jumped even though i've seen it so many times mm. the bit where the windows in the convenience store smash actually made me jump yeah the person uh, i watched it with my missus she jumped in that scene and then when michael Sarah gets spiked she just sort of exclaimed i've never seen anything like this <laughs> which I think captures the insanity of it quite well. Yeah. Uh, so we see the rapture beginning, people in the blue lights going up to heaven. Then we get back to the party and the hole opens and we start to lose a lot of our guests in hilarious manners, don't we? Yeah, we, we get Paul Rudd. We get a Paul Rudd cameo. I know, I wish yep. he was in it more. It's such a shame. He just appears, squashes someone's head and then he's gone. But I just wish he was in it a bit more because he's lovely. I sort of doubled down on that sentiment. I was like, I wish the whole film was this party. Like, I wish all the guests were there longer and it didn't go from, like, this big sprawling party to just the guys so quickly. I know it had to, but it would have been great if that party had gone on longer with people dying and chaos and surviving and what have you. Vicky, if you could exchange Paul Rudd for someone that gets trapped in that house, who would you exchange him for? That's a good question. Um, oh, who would I get rid of? I think I would have to get. I would get rid of James Franco. Actually, does my head in. Um, so he's mentor. Yeah, I know, and he does very, very efficiently and professionally. <laughs> um, whereas I could look at Paul Rudd's lovely face <laughs> for ninety minutes instead. Um, yeah, that's who I'd swap. Chris, who would you swap out for Rudd? Um. Well, I mean, Jay Baruchel's not the funniest in there, but he's there for a reason to move the plot forward. So I'd take out Craig Robinson because I never find him particularly funny. Okay. Okay. Um, we've got um, we've got Craig Robinson doing a very funny line, though, um, when he sees Aziz Ansari uh, hanging on to the hole at the very edge of the hole. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, Craig, help me. And Craig Robinson's running by and he goes, it's too late for you. You're already in the hole. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Like, this, like he's not. But anyway, uh, so let's get on with the, the party. So the party happens. Uh, everyone, loads of people die. And we're left with our core cast trapped in James Franco's house. Uh, Vicky, I'm sure you appreciate the first thing Seth Rogen does <laughs> is down half a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> and does an inventory about how much booze is left. I was like, exactly. <laughs> Because you can, when you manage people's expectations, they'll sort of deal with anything. But if I was like, I don't know how much booze there is, then things would be different. Did you guys do an inventory when this lockdown started? I knew I had a shitload of booze, and so I didn't panic too much. <laughs> no, I just I rolled the dice, man. That's how I live. It's because you live near a nice shop, probably with no fucking queue. You haven't been to Lewisham for a while. It's it's mad out there. Okay, yeah, but is, they're still selling opal fruits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, you're gonna get fucking Starburst poisoning, and that'll be the end of me. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, you'll be like Violet Beauregard, but like red, just a really red woman from all the strawberry starburst. Yeah, I can't hold my spliff because I've got two massive. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to be pretty big that you couldn't separate your fingers far enough <laughs> apart to slip the very end of a joint between them. There's no gap left. I, I like the fact that here we've got a very specific example of uh, the old uh, Chekhov's gun in the terms of he, he brings out a gun and literally says, this is a functioning revolver. Um, <laughs> and then we get that, that scene with, with Jonah Hill um, pretending to shoot oh. the and putting the gun to his head, which is a terrifying scene. It's really terrifying. It's such a good, like, it is really tense. I've seen it before and I was like, oh, does someone, I thought he just shot himself in the head. It's so effective. Uh, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's it, I, I think that scene is a little bit like the whole movie where it balances the funny with the dark and the actually quite grim and scary, like a, a really good black comedy, which it is. Mm. But it's um, it's uh, I think Seth Rogen said before that they wanted to make the apocalypse side of it uh, as real as possible um, because it's an actual threat, you know. And without that, it doesn't feel as funny, and the comedy bits. Were a lot funnier when they upped the threat uh, outside and inside. Agreed. Well, it feels it feels dangerous. The 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 comedy feels dangerous and the apocalypse feels dangerous. And I think that's what really makes the film work. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, so among all, uh, I agree. The whiskey. Uh, they've got the whiskey, the food. Uh, they've also got the video camera from the movie Twenty Seven Hours. Until James Franco goes, one hundred twenty seven hours, uh, and then <laughs> just when you're sort of like getting to grips with who's there. The film literally kicks it up a gear because who enters in amazing fashion to Cypress Hill? Pretty sure it's Cypress Hill, but Danny McBride. Wow. Yeah, it's like throwing a grenade into the house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he cooks up all their food because uh, he doesn't know the apocalypse is happening. He makes all their food. And they all start freaking out. And he's like, what? I'm sure the Green Goblin can afford some more bacon. <laughs> uh, I just, every time there's a film reference, I just, I, like, I don't know why, I just cracked up. Uh, and then he only becomes aware that something bad is happening when the guy, the poor hapless guy, sticks his head through the door and goes, let me in, and then gets decapitated. I bring this up. Because it's one of my, like, I find it really grim, whether it happens in a horror, a comedy, like here I find it grim, when you see the point of view from a decapitated head, I find upsetting. Why? Why? Are you worried, no, are you worried it's going to happen to you? <laughs> that you'll like, be decapitated I, I, and looking out? <laughs> I think that it's the idea that you still, like, you're, you know you're dead, but you're yeah. still thinking and there's no way back. It's not like I can get out of this. Like you are still aware. You're aware that you're just ahead, literally just before you die. And I, <laughs> like, I, that, I, honestly, it really upsets me. That's really making me laugh, Alex. That's so yeah, ridiculous. It's, it's <laughs> so, ridiculous. so specific. Like, Most Vicky's people are curious. Vicky's worried about getting her eyes gouged out. I'm worried about my Achilles tendon going in. You're worried about having your head severed, but still being awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never want to be just ahead. <laughs> and then we're sort of into how it becomes this, but like a reality show, intentionally so. Like, um, 
like the real world or, or, or something, I think they based it on, where they set up this confessional diary cam, I guess you'd call it, if it was Big Brother, uh, where people start doing their little things uh, to camera, which is really nice. And it goes from being this sort of like big movie into this little movie where it's the minute details of each of these people's characters that start um, pissing each other off. Uh, were there any high points for you in the sort of main body of this film, guys? I, 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 I think Danny McBride is amazing. I think that it it drifts a bit uh, as Danny McBride, I'll say, jizzles over this film for like half an hour because it's it's him doing what he wants and arguing with James Franco for ages and it gets off track a little bit. It should be about um, the emotional core of a friendship uh, dissolving. And it isn't. It's just, it is very, very funny, but it's just a face-off or it's just like, how much are you going to let Danny McBride do for 30 minutes before you kick him out of the house? So it's really funny, but um, it, it just took it off track for me a little bit. Chris? Uh, I'll answer your question, Alex, and say, I like the bit where they uh, did pine- <laughs> Pineapple Express 2, Pineapple 2 Blood Red. I thought that was really so, funny. I'll tell you what, I'm pretty hungry right now, Chris, because I don't know if I've mentioned this, but there's only Starburst in Lewisham. So don't fuck with me. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah the the um the whole um the whole making a sequel to pineapple express is i don't know part of me was like if you haven't seen pineapple express this is taking the self-indulgence of this film to the next level of self-indulgence but it is very funny if only for the line afterwards where they go can we make sequels to all our films and someone goes yeah can we not do your highness (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what I did like, if uh, not to be too much, you know when they take all the ecstasy and there's a little montage about how brilliant that is. I thought that looked amazing. <laughs> <It> looked, <laughs> like, obviously, it looks good visually, but I was like, that does look like such fun. We, we've also got yeah. a very specific homage to the mist when uh, Craig Robinson goes out with the rope around his waist. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard Seth Rogen saying he was worried they were going to get sued over that, so they, he kept saying it's an homage. We didn't steal it; it's an homage. And um, <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of those, don't we? Yeah. we? We get the mist, we get Rosemary's Baby, and we get the Exorcist, all quite um, specifically parodied in the film. Yeah, yeah. The Rosemary's Baby line is really good. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I disagree. I agree with you, kind of. V about the the fact that the the Jay and Seth story really like by the end when you sort of realize when they're going up to heaven and you realize that this was all about their friendship and like Jay admits his faults and Seth like sacrifices himself and all of that I'd forgotten that that was meant to be the beating heart of this movie so I do agree that that takes a back seat in the house which is strange but I would never ever ever not want to see the I'll come wherever I, the fuck I want. <laughs> Danny McBride scene. Cause... That is funny, but the funniest line, as someone who really enjoys walking away during an argument, when he says, I can't not walk away, I've already walked away too much. Sorry, <laughs> I can't say it. It's just brilliant. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm having that. <laughs> I, I, my my favourite... My favourite bit about that back and forth is when the camera's behind uh, Danny McBride and Seth Rogen, you can see Seth Rogen shaking because he's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> they, just, yeah. They, they just kept it in. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, it's um, McBride's just so good. Like when he's, when he, uh, 
he tries to kill them all with a gun uh, before it was revealed that it's fake. And then he's like, gonna, it's like he's going to go through each of them and explain why <laughs> like they're, <laughs> they're, they're flaws. And he starts with James Franco. And he goes, Franco, you're just a pretentious nerd. And Jonah, you fucking cunt. That's it. And then it just stops. He just stops. <laughs> yeah, that was very yeah, funny. Was excellent. And I, I liked it when Franco says about McBride, why are they going to get rid of him? He says, the fucker has gained weight since he got here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's lot there's lots uh, of yeah. one liners. I do feel like some sometimes in this in this sort of um section of the film now I'm, I'm with you a bit, Vicky, in that I think it turns a little bit into sort of almost like a sketch show where we lose track of what the film's actually about. And it yeah. just feels like it gets that it feels like it could it could have been trimmed down in this in this section of movie. Yeah, it is too yeah. long as a rule. Yeah, and then uh, in the end, uh, they realise that what they have to do to end up in heaven, uh, it's still on. If you want to go to heaven, you have to do something great. Uh, primarily sacrifice yourself or just be uh, an incredibly good person. Uh, so um, they escape the house, or the house is like burning after what is quite a good fire stunt, um, I-, I have to say. In a comedy, the bit where Jonah Hill uh, catches fire is uh, is impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks scary. I'm assuming it was done for real. Uh, it definitely looks like not CGI, but I don't know. Um, so that's good. And then they run into, they escape onto the wastelands <laughs> of what was Los Angeles, and they bump into Danny McBride again, who has a gimp uh, in a, a truly phenomenal cameo by Channing Tatum. <laughs> Channing Tatum. I was so pleased. Yeah, I was so pleased to see him. I nearly dropped my cup of tea starburst my starburst <laughs> ice lolly that i'd moved on to by that point yeah um and then um and then they uh, they end up uh, they, then the devil himself turns up with a massive dong and um <laughs> they get uh, enter heaven um and it's set to uh, whitney houston's i will always love you uh, and a testament to a power, the power of that song is the fact that even though, like I said, we kind of forgotten Jay and Seth's relationship by this point, and they're literally floating past a giant, like flaming cock, I still <laughs> shed a tear. I st- it still packed a little bit of an emotional punch for me. I was like, that's beautiful when Seth sacrifices himself and then like gets to go up as well. Did anyone else feel emotional at that point? Or have I been on my own for too long? I don't want to throw you under the bus, but don't be ridiculous. <laughs> I did a little bit. I think I think it's the music as well, combined with uh, their friendship. I That's what bit, I'm I, saying. Yeah, I got a yeah. bit emotional. Is it one of the best love songs ever written? <laughs> you mean versus just these two dudes? I don't know. This is what I'm saying. I'm saying yeah. I'm saying yeah. that song is a very very powerful piece of music and is responsible for me crying. And uh, I'm so, agreeing with you. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate that, bro. <laughs> oh, I get it now. Oh, I see. Um, so a few uh, other bits and pieces. Uh, they get to heaven and then we get the brilliant Backstreet Boys ending, uh, which I love because that song is incredible and it's one of the few songs I learnt to dance to <gasps> at one Can point. You Can you do it? It's just Can arms, you still do really. it? Just oh, my arms, God. Bit. 
I am dying. I've, that's brilliant. <laughs> right. So first of all, lockdown, post lockdown, we've got an actual race. Amazing. And then me and you can have a dance off. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> why? 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 <laughs> <laughs> I love that dance. I love that song. Brilliant. There's a reason you learned it. I mean, surely it was to impress people, and I'm impressed. Yeah. Tick, TikTok yeah. it, Alex. Okay. TikTok. <laughs> no. <laughs> Whatever, no. Uh, no, whatever well, the hell TikTok is, do it. <laughs> if you're already impressed, Victoria, that was the reason I learned it. Just telling you has impressed you. I don't actually need to do it. So that box has been ticked. Thank you. Uh, right. So um, originally, instead of the Backstreet Boys, they wanted it to be Morgan Freeman uh, as God at the end. Uh, like they, uh, they wanted Morgan Freeman uh, to be there. And he was going to appear when they arrived and they were going to be like, oh, my gosh, you're God. And Jay would be like, wait, so when we were a million dollar baby together, you were God then? <laughs> and then and then God was going to show up and be like, now nah, we're just fucking with you. This is Morgan Freeman. We just play this joke on people when they come to heaven now. So oh, that mate. was going to be the original thing. I love the Backstreet yeah. voice, but you saying that is making me think that I want it that way. Cool. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. I'm I'm pleased with myself. You can't see it, but I'm pleased with myself. I can tell. Yeah, I like that a lot. But I wanted to come back with another Backstreet Boys song. I don't know anymore. V? No, I don't. I, I, everything I can think of is Westlife, which is not the same thing. As long as you love me. <laughs> oh, shit. Quit playing games <laughs> with my heart. Oh, yeah. All right, no. Get off Google. Chris, yeah, can, get off Google now. Hear, That's no, cheating. I can hear someone typing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know them, I know them naturally, though. I was actually a bit of a fan. Um, Music-wise, though, uh, I do have a little no, bit... Chris, is that because is, is, is you're larger than life? Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, now we know it was typing. <laughs> Everybody. Yes! <laughs> um, uh, Music-wise... Uh, Seth and Evan actually uh, did an entire soundtrack for this film that was gospel. The, the music was going to be gospel for the whole movie. They said it was quite weird that two Jews were writing these these original gospel songs. Um, <laughs> they recorded it and put it to the film. And then when they started screening it to people, everybody hated it. They were singing the songs themselves? No, they, they wrote the songs. Okay. They had a gospel choir recording them. Right. And they put them say. over the, the movie and it just didn't work. So, yeah, there was okay. there, somewhere there's a gospel version of this film. Brilliant. Yeah, and then they decided that they just wanted music that they liked on it, uh, a lot of which is from the 90s. It's a great soundtrack. You've got, like, Cypress Hill when the shit goes down, Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky, obviously Backstreet Boys. Uh, there's um, MIA's, uh, MIA's Paper Planes in there. I really like the soundtrack. It's very good. Very good soundtrack. Um, how about uh, what a few of the cast said about the versions of themselves that they played in it, um, what they wouldn't do? So apparently um, the every cast member, when they were given the script with the versions of them in it, uh, petitioned for changes uh, about how they about their lines and how they were perceived. Uh, but Rogan said the only person who didn't petition for any change was James Franco. He was like, yep, I'll, I'm happy with that. He comes off better in this. Is that what he's saying than he is in real life? <laughs> uh, some of the things that were changed were 
Uh, Craig Robinson uh, was pitched a a Mother Teresa joke by Evan Goldberg. He was like, please don't make me say that. And so he didn't say that. Uh, Jay Baruchel, there was something about Canada or hockey they wanted me to say that I didn't want to say about how much I actually hate both those things. And I said, (laughs) I can't do that. Uh, They wanted Danny McBride to moon to the camera. And they said that if they'd have warmed him up a little bit, he'd have done it. But they just threw it at him in the middle of a scene and he didn't want to do it. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. By all I, accounts, everyone had. Yeah, go on. I don't think Baruchel said he he hated Canada. He said he didn't want to say anything bad about Canada. That's what he said. Yeah. Oh, that's, okay. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah. Did I not say like that? He, he was saying that they wanted him to say something about <clears throat> Canada or hockey and how much he hates those things, and he said he couldn't do yeah, that. Good man. Um. Right. Uh, and yeah, that's um, that's pretty much uh, everything I've got on it from this end in my extensive notes that you can't see, but it's a thick, thick pad of um, real high quality paper I've written on. So uh, go me. Oh yeah, one thing is most of the cast said the character who was most like themselves was Danny McBride in this. Uh, <laughs> that's that not may true. Well have been a joke. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's one, do the bits then. I, I was just going to say oh, one sorry. other bit in the film that I thought was interesting is, and it got me sort of down a weird Google sinkhole, um, was when they were talking about bad things that they've done. And Franco says sleeping with Lindsay Lohan was his one. And mm. she thought he was Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and mm. I think looking from the timeline, I think that's what inspired her to release her list of men that she slept with. The 41 men that she released in 2014. That included Joaquin Phoenix, oh. Zac Efron, Colin Farrell, Justin Timberlake, Heath Ledger, um, and was James, James Franco. Franco on there? He was on the list. Oh, he um, was. At- she released the list. He denied it. She said that he was lying, and then he wrote a short story taking the piss out of her, claiming that she'd slept with him. Um, yeah, so it was just this weird little thing that I think this film might have triggered. <laughs> Very horrible, and I was disappointed you weren't on that list, Alex. <laughs> uh. Thanks. I'm Wait. on the list, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I was impressed you were, Vic. Thank you so much. I do get out, actually, so. Lohan's a sucker for those strawberry opal fruits. You know it. <laughs> have, you never, have you never fallen into Vicky's little uh, sex trap? If you walk down any street in Lewisham and you come across <laughs> a trail of them leading yeah. to a front door, don't do follow them. Don't bend over. <laughs> Oh, that's dark. <laughs> they glued down. <laughs> Gives me all the more time. Yeah. All the run up you need. <laughs> right, on that bombshell. On that bombshell, we should definitely do the that, bits. <laughs> that bombshell. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. All right, all right, back. Right, good. Let's do the bit. So, what is both of your best scenes in? This is the end. I'll start with you, Chris. Uh, when Michael Sarah gets spiked, uh, it's a real shot. Comes out of left field. I think the effect's really good. It's it's very funny when it happens, and it also has a good punchline. So, I think that's the best moment. 
And the effects are really good in this, aren't they? The demons. I honestly, there's a bit at the end, and I was quite tired, but I couldn't work out. I, for a moment, I thought they were stop motion monsters, but it's just really good CGI, isn't it? Yeah, very good. Vicky, best um, scene. Uh, Backstreet Boys in Heaven because of the dance. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I can't wait to see it. Can't wait. Um, I uh, have gone from I'll come wherever the fuck I want, uh, which is the Danny McBride, Franco, masturbation, coming everywhere uh, scene, which I think is great. Um, uh, MVW. Most valuable whatever. Chris. Uh, coked up Michael Sarah. I told you that was great. Vic. Yeah, I know. I know. We can have different choices and different opinions. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I forgot that bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vicky. Um, I would say the soundtrack actually. Um, it reminded me of many a night bus journey home, pissed out of my mind, um, <laughs> pretending that I'm really cool. Sort of late nineties, early noughties. Um, yeah. So the soundtrack or Channing Tatum's bomb, whichever. Hmm. 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 <laughs> Alex? Um, sorry, I was I was trying to put telling... Basically, that imaginary opal fruit situation that we were just talking about, I just added Channing Tatum in. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> Michael Sarah or Danny McBride, uh, it's literally a straight tie between the two. I think if Michael Sarah had been in it more, he, it, like, he'd have been up there. I guess, really, it's Danny McBride because he's in it more. And the film, I don't think, would be as good as it is without him. What would you change, Chris? Um, so looking through my notes earlier, I think when I write down the sentence, too many rape jokes with a question mark, I think there might be a problem with the film. <laughs> well, if you notice. <laughs> yeah. uh, if there's so many that I literally have to write it down. Uh, yeah. So, That's yeah, I, I, I just think, yeah, I mean, there's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of rape jokes. And I think maybe they could have pulled back on some of those. Victoria? Um, so when uh, when Jay Baruchel and Seth Rogen are falling out and Danny McBride tells Seth Rogen that Jay Baruchel has sort of betrayed him because last time he came to LA, he stayed in a hotel rather than at Seth's house. That is lame. You want to up that. So it should be something along the lines of Jay Baruchel has always thrown Seth Rogen's new lifestyle like under the bus a bit. He hates it, whatever. But he should find out that he's been going up for the same parts as him the whole time. Uh, and he loves there LA. There she is. Yeah, you're welcome. There she is. <laughs> welcome to the party, V. Fine. It took her 40 uh, yeah. minutes to show up. <laughs> <laughs> Fashionably late. Um, and, and, and interestingly, it's kind of based in reality, that relationship, in that Jay, as well as being friends with Seth Rogen, but the Jay character is based on Evan Goldberg, really, because um, Seth got the part in Freaks and Geeks when he was 14, moved to L.A., and then Evan would come visit him and, and Seth did have new Hollywood friends and was sort of changing and their, their friendship was drifting apart. So it's really very much based in reality, that that relationship. Oh, I thought it was actually based on the Seth Rogen, Jay Baruchel relationship in real life. I tried to find some correlation between the kind of movies he was making while Seth Rogen was making The Green Hornet. And obviously because Jay Baruchel uh, wrote Goon and obviously like, 
you know that's set in Canada and it's about the Canadian hockey uh, about the hockey scene and stuff. So I was like, oh, it's about it's actually their relationship. But is that right? It's no, actually it's, Evan Goldberg's relationship. It, well, it's it's based on all these things. It's based on uh, also them when they're in LA having different groups of friends. And he, Seth was talking about the fact that some people were being more successful. They were all friends, but some were more successful than others. Some had more famous friends than others. And it just caused these little rifts within their friendship groups that they decided would make sort of good fodder for a film. Okay. Um, My change, um, I kind of agree with uh, you, Chris, when you said that feels it feels like you could shave 20 15 minutes out of this it runs at like an hour 45 an hour 48 something like that and it's uh, it could be an hour and a half um i find the bit where jay and craig go to the house next door to retrieve food and are chased by the demon dog mm. cow thing um i find that a bit superfluous i don't think you need it although it's a really another great jump scare when it comes through the window um so maybe that, uh, maybe the Jonah Hill possession thing goes on quite a long time. I don't know if it's as funny as just the uh, guys bickering. But ultimately, I, I actually think the change I'd make is, is the James Franco saying I slept with Lindsay Lohan and the Craig Robinson when they're doing all the reasons why they're awful people. Craig Robinson going, I gouged a man's eyes out. It's, I guess it's that kind of like, it's so funny because it's so dark but it's too much for me i think it it makes both their characters like even like less likable i think it's enough that they're just self-serving actors in the film that that's why they haven't gone to heaven i don't think they need other reasons so i probably wouldn't have put those bits in yeah that makes sense that's a good idea that said, uh, these are all fairly small changes, which I think uh, gives you an idea of how much love there was for This Is The End. Let's move on to our next movie. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So it's time to look at our next movie, which is The World's End. Uh, interesting backstory that connects these two movies is that the original title for This is the End was going to be The Apocalypse and then was changed to The End of the World, which uh, obviously is very similar to The World's End. And Simon Pegg actually sent his Paul co-star, Seth Rogen, an email asking him if he'd consider changing the name as it was so close to The World's End and they were coming out a month apart, uh, which uh, they did. Change This Is The End to This Is The End from The End Of The World. We are talking about The World's End. Um, who is talking about this? Chris, of course. Today, we will be partaking of Liquid Repast with Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Paddy Considine, Eddie Marzan and Martin Freeman as they wind their way up the Golden Mile. Commencing with an inaugural tankard in the first post, then on to the old familiar, the famous cock, the cross hands, the good companions, the trusty servant, the two-headed dog, the mermaid, the beehive, the king's head and the hole in the wall for a measure of the same all before the last bittersweet pint in that most fateful terminus, the world's end. There you go. All right. Good. I don't know if that that actually counts as writing an intro, Chris. As good as it was, I don't know that you actually wrote anything there. You sort of read something. I did. Well, I read what I wrote. I don't think that they... they, I don't think that they name-check... I don't think they name-check all the actors in the movie, do they? So that I'm would have getting, been a weird... I'm getting confused. I'm getting confused between the two movies. They don't actually play themselves in this one. You're right. You're right. Good evening, Raimondo. The prodigal son's return. Hi. What do you recommend? Beer. Mmm. One tap water. What?! What the hell is this? Why are we even here? We are here to get annihilated. You come back and everything's sort of weird. I suggest you get on your way. It's not us that's changed. It's the town. We are going to get to the world's end if it kills us. Welcome home, boys. The third uh, in the Cornetto trilogy, as you said, about um, five friends endeavouring to recreate a pub crawl that they tried and failed to complete when they were teens. Um, Memories of watching this one? Uh, Alex, you must have covered this for Sky, surely. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we did. I think, actually, no, I don't think I did. No, I didn't. I didn't because you... uh, you get a mention in the Sky Show about this program, uh, I think, and 
yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, no, I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I didn't cover it. It's the short answer. So I'm searching for some information. I think that was the long answer. That was the long answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sort of s- slick start to this second half so far. <laughs> no, I can't. I, I watched it at the cinema, um, but I can't remember when I saw it at the cinema. I've seen it uh, many, many times since. Uh, this is another of my comfort duvet movies. And Vicky, had you seen this one before? Yeah, yeah, uh, but on the television rather than um, on mm. the silver screen. I don't know why, to be honest. I always usually use the excuse of like, oh, I had a baby and I couldn't go to the pictures, but I was just massively pregnant. That's no reason not to go to the pictures, but I didn't. Fair yeah, enough. That's very old-fashioned, Victoria. The not idea to not be seen. Women... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, to have to wear a cape, uh, a front cape <laughs> to hide your bump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they used to say that you weren't allowed to. What was it? Go swimming um, if you were pregnant. Or um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did they yeah, say definitely. this? Who, who, and when? What? <laughs> I want names, um, and I, I, I'm going to need their addresses as well. <laughs> maybe they didn't say that. Maybe I just said that. Maybe I want. Yeah, maybe, maybe want you to... just think I... that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think maybe. Maybe I was. I used to work as a lifeguard, uh, a swing bathtub. Are you lying? And I, I think maybe I once told a pregnant woman she wasn't allowed to swim in my <laughs> swimming pool. I hope for your sake that is not true. <laughs> which, which part? The idea of me saying that to a pregnant woman, or the idea of trusting your life in my hands oh, that's in water? Really good yeah, equal parts horror, isn't it? Like, imagine you wouldn't dive in to save anyone, would you? No, absolutely no. not. Depends. <laughs> It depends. How good is my hair that day? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'd wade in. I just wouldn't go in head first. Yeah, you'd shout at them, wouldn't you? Are you all right? <laughs> I'd, throw a, I'd throw another person who looked capable of saving them at them yeah. who could then save them. <laughs> With worse hair than you. That makes yeah, sense. Maybe, I'd throw a small child as a flotation device. Perfect. Let's get this back on track. Chris, tell us about the time you were on the set of The World's End. <laughs> uh, well, it was it was Elstree Studios, but it was a pub set. I visited the set of all three films, and all three times I was visiting a pub, which is one of those things that connects all the films, and I'm sure we'll get onto more of them. Uh, but a bit of background... Um, Edgar Wright, the co-writer and director, he did a pub crawl similar to this when he was about that age. And he got too drunk early on. He thought he'd made arrangements to meet up with a girl. Turns out he hadn't. Went to her house. It didn't work out. Running away from the house in embarrassment, he clotheslined himself on an actual clothesline (laughs) and and knocked himself out. And that's what kind of inspired him when he was um, in 1995 to write write a script called Crawl. Um, which was about teenagers on a pub crawl in Somerset, um, which he still has that script on, on one of the videos they've uh, on the featurettes. They've got the title page. It says one night, four lads, 15 pints, too fast to live, too young to drink. Um, <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> uh, but he never did anything with that script. And then when they were, when they were discussing doing a third of the Cornetto films, um, they decided to, to sort of take that idea, but make it in the present day. And then um, he was also inspired by someone we talked about last week, which is John Wyndham, who's a day of the Triffids helped inspire 28 Days Later. 
and his Midwich Cuckoos um, helped inspire uh, this more science fiction element of this film. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. Edgar said that, that Brian Aldiss criticised John Wyndham um, for his books all being cosy catastrophes. But Edgar said that that's what he, him and Simon have been trying to do is make these sort of middle class apocalypse <laughs> movies. Um, so, yeah, that's a bit of background on it. Uh, so shall we talk about the film itself? Yes. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So it kicks off on June 22nd, 1990, final day of school, uh, when these lads try and do this pub crawl. Um, and then we have a big, uh, the voiceover kind of like Shaun on the Dead sets out the roadmap for the movie discussing um, the pubs and what happens along the way. Uh, did you feel like you'd seen this before via Shaun of the Dead, that element of it? Yeah, for sure. No, no, not. I didn't. Yeah, I, didn't I, I did. I felt yeah. It's the it's the establisher. The voiceover is too long as well, but it's just it just makes you think. Oh, Shaun of the Dead was good. Um, but obviously it's like the first five minutes, and it can improve from there. But it just goes on too long. The best line in it is, and it doesn't really pick up on this enough, I think. But the best nights out you have are the unexpected ones, and then you're seeing Gary King and his mates when they're teenagers but it doesn't seem to be it doesn't turn into the most unexpectedly brilliant night out which is what i was hoping it would and i think anyone who enjoys a drink and likes a pub crawl will tell you that yes in real life the best nights out are the ones where you're like oh, i'm just going for a quick pint after work and then pow drag queen karaoke you're sleeping on the beach drag queen karaoke and sleeping on the beach mm. tell us about that night no, I made it up. <laughs> no, it's a ah. blend, actually. It's a blend of uh, various nights. The Drag Queen karaoke I'm talking about is that there's a video karaoke post in Leeds that you must know, and it's fucking brilliant. Um, anyway, I'll tell you about it later. I'll just remind you, I, I left Leeds when I was still <laughs> into tabletop wargaming. Uh, it's unlikely that I know about Drag Queen karaoke. Probably, I, I did go to the student union indie disco called Stomp, uh, mm. which was very good fun. <laughs> anyway i digress the reason i really like that montage at the start which is set to like uh the music of the magic roundabout is because um i just like it's nostalgia this film is like nostalgia even though it's set about five years before i was doing um a similar thing it, like it it's close enough that all the the trigger points are there from like the uh, the, the the setting to the music this is like this movie makes me just sort of go, oh my God, which one of my friends was that guy? And which one of my friends was that guy? And sure, they're not tabletop war gamers, but you put that to one side and seriously, like I, I, I can, I feel a real familiarity with this film and those guys at the start. Alex, you know, you know the film's message is that nostalgia is bad, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Okay, but just checking. I, I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. <laughs> but at the same time, it's not, is that the message? Well, we'll have to talk about that at the end. We'll get there. We'll get there. But um, they, they, it's the golden mile that they go on. Did you guys have a a pub crawl in Leeds, or or when you were growing up that you went on like this? When I was at uni, it was the Micklegate Run in York that we used to do in town. Did you have one of these though? I didn't. No, we didn't. Uh, we had like we sort of drank in the park, so <laughs> we went to. Uh, Mr. Milligan's off license. Uh, Mr. Milligan sold. Uh, this is when we were fourteen. So like he sold fourteen-year-olds like uh, who would hand over fake ID 
uh, like in biro. I mean, literally, you could have handed him like a, a receipt from Tesco and gone, here it is. And he'd have gone, <laughs> oh, yep, that'll do me. And give you whatever booze you wanted. And we'd stock up on 2020 mm. and beer <laughs> and uh, go and sit in the park uh, because we couldn't go to pubs because we were 14. But as we got older, it was the pig and whistle in Leeds or the mansion in Roundy Park. Vicky, did you have a pub crawl you would go on when you were at, at school or uni? Uh, you couldn't do. I couldn't do a pub crawl in Blackburn because there's there's only or there was only one pub in Blackburn where I would have been um, welcome, shall we say? <laughs> and if I'd gone in any other of the pubs, I would have been murdered in about, uh, or at least very severely jumped in about five to ten minutes. So I never bothered. But the one pub that we love that called the cellar bar it was amazing like we spent a lot of time and it was because it was like a little indie pub and if you were in a band or basically if you if you weren't I'm trying to think of the best if you weren't banging to happy hardcore in 1997 in blackburn you went to the cellar bar and so that's why i was there um but it was vicky Vicky, why did everyone in Blackburn want to kill you? They didn't. Mm, yeah. not, not just what, what did you do? <laughs> you buried the lead here somewhat. <laughs> it's not that. It's just that when I was at school and I had a group of friends that were the same, we weren't quite... We, I, I was really into like pulp and indie music and playing the bass guitar and things like this. And a lot of boys and girls in Blackburn are not into that, I found out. Um, and yeah. I, it wouldn't have been a good scene for me to be in, in those pubs. So I didn't go to them. And then it all changed when I moved to London because then I was really cool. What crowd were you in, Chris? Were you, just out of interest, Chris, were you in a, were you possibly one of the popular crowds? Are you, are you, uh, or were you a, a bit of an outcast? I'd just like to, I mean, Vicky's literally laid her cards on the line. She was a, an unpopular bassist uh into pulp whoa 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 uh, whoa I, I didn't say i was unpopular I didn't say i was unpopular no no i, I know i, had a I added that <laughs> i know you didn't say that i added I was... that based on knowing you so i uh, <laughs> she was an unpopular bassist <laughs> uh, uh, uh and, and she had no friends and used to, she used to cry and eat mud um i uh, was uh, possibly one of the most attractive tabletop wargamers in Leeds, but granted, tabletop wargaming wasn't particularly popular. Chris, Chris, where are you on the scale? I was I was torn between the sports guys and the drama guys, so I was. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't really they didn't really mix with each other those two groups, and so I was kind of stuck between two different groups and so yeah i'm not sure where i quite fitted in i wasn't the cool person on either of those groups but i did hang out with them both and then uh, when i got okay, to so... uni i went more down the sports route and i left the drama behind right 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 so did you ever were you ever confused like you were on the football pitch with your sports mates and you were going pass me the ball he saith oh shit i'm in the wrong crowd that's exactly that's exactly what happened. <laughs> okay, um, so our five friends we've got uh, Simon Pegg plays Gary King, who is he was the cool, good-looking, successful with the ladies, um, a popular one at school, but maybe uh, that's all changed now. You've got Nick Frost's Andy Knightley, who is teetotal now, and he's a seemingly successful businessman. 
Um, Paddy Considine plays uh, Stephen Prince, who was sort of played second fiddle to Gary at school and now is seeing a 26-year-old gym instructor, which we get told over and over again. Um, Martin Freeman is Oliver Chamberlain, who is now an estate agent and a bit of a Gordon Gecko wannabe. And Eddie Marzan is Peter Page, who is a bit of a wallflower, um, who was bullied and, and easily influenced and was kind of just part of the gang because his parents were rich. And so that's the group of people we've um, got going on this pub crawl. But it starts off, uh, we meet Gary um, speaking to a group of people about his problems at the start of the film, which is a bit of a departure for this these series of movies in terms of it's, it gets serious quite quickly. Yeah, um, is that AA or is that something, um, is it... Uh, uh... Because he says later, doesn't he, uh, Simon Pegg? He goes, they told me what to, time to go to bed. Uh, and he has a, a, a band on his wrist from a hospital, which I, I, I'm not sure if the two are connected. So where actually is he at the start? Do we know? Well, if you notice, he isn't wearing any laces. None of them are wearing any laces in that group. So um, uh, the idea is that he is... <laughs> It's not entirely clear, doing all my research around it, but whether he's actually been committed. But he's certainly being treated for alcohol, depression, and maybe a suicide attempt. So um, he is there against his will at the start of the film, and he's actually escaping from that place to go on this pub crawl. But I don't think that is made entirely clear, I think, if you watch the scene. I think you kind of... Oh, I mean, maybe it is when you see his wristband at the end of the film, but you have to fill in a lot of blanks, excuse me, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. um, to, yeah. to, to get to that point, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I, I read some reviews. I, I think I, um, where someone says... Someone calls it a very... Um, the, the, uh, an exquisitely dark uh, start where Simon Pegg is basically leaving AA to go on a bender, um, which I just was never sure whether it was um, actually AA. I think it's because he's wearing pyjama bottoms, as I remember in that scene. So it feels like he's um, actually, you know, it's not a place he can leave, or at least it's somewhere where he's living as well as doing therapy. Yeah, and so then uh, he rounds up all the fellas through a series of, sort of manipulates them all. He goes for the weakest one first, which is Peter, and then <laughs> uh, talks them all into it, apart from Andy, who he just kind of um, ends up getting guilt-tripped into it. And then they are they make their way to Newton Haven, or New Town Heaven, as that uh, town oh, yeah. means. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, then they kick off their pub crawl. So... Um, 12 pints is a lot to ask, isn't it? Even Whether you were 18 or whether you're 40. Have you ever done 12 pints in a night? No, it's the volume. I, just, I can't deal with that much volume. It's too much liquid. That's what always used to make me throw up with pints of beer. It's the volume mm. of the stuff, not like the alcohol content. I just, after a while, I just like, you know, I got a little stomach. How about you, Vicky? <laughs> So there's a pub crawl I used to go on quite recently, which is the which I'm sure you've heard of, but you know the Sam Smith's pub crawl. So you know the Sam Smith's pubs in like uh, Central, like Oxford Street, North Oxford Street, Soho, and there's a nice crawl you can do around there if the sun is shining, um, and it's 15 pubs, and you're allowed to drink halves if you want to. It's not frowned upon, 
Um, but every time I've tried to do it, because people are drinking halves to kind of get around it, I like to get settled into a pub, you see. So me and my friend Lucy, we always bow out about six pints in because we just chat in and we won't leave. And then we get really angry when people try and make us leave. So I've never done the full 15 pints because I would die. But also, I mean, even 15 halves, what's that? Seven and a half pints. That's that's a lot of alcohol. So no, I haven't done it. But not for lack of trying. Yeah. I mean, in theory, I'd like to do it. Pub crawl's just like, it's the bit where you're outside a pub where bad things happen. See, it's like, <laughs> once, you're, once you're in a pub, you're meant to be drunk. You're meant to be in there and it's all fine. And then it's yeah. like the moving from one pub to another. It's You run the gauntlet. And um, I, that's, the, that's the reason I'm not a, a pub crawl fan. There's a brilliant photograph of me and Lucy um, when we're mid the Sam Smith pub crawl and me and her have run off for some reason that we can't remember and we've run to an off licence and someone's taking a photograph of us and we're both giggling our heads off, clutching massive bottles of Blue Wicked. So at some point on a pub crawl, we've gone, I'll tell you what would liven this up, is an off licence bottle of Blue Wicked somewhere in the middle of Chinatown. Disgusting. It's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) And I have no memory of it, but there's a photograph (laughs) I could imagine you sort of nipping off to an off-license if you're like on the Jack the Ripper walking tour. You know, something where you're not really expected to drink. But the one thing there isn't a shortage of on a pub crawl is booze. Yeah, it's really, it's um, holds up a mirror to myself in a way that I'm not happy well, about. It's funny you yeah, should say that, your... Alex. <laughs> Go on. Uh, because there's actually, there's only one deleted scene on the DVD from this film, but it's of them all getting ready at the hotel before going on the pub crawl. And you see Gary losing his shit because he can't find the minibar. And so I think it sort of tells you a bit more about Gary early on, the fact that he's about to drink 12 pints, but he he needs a couple of drinks before that. And so um, I guess they cut that out because you see his problem as the night develops rather than straight away. But I think that's a telling deleted scene. So is it too um, much to like to suggest? So I've watched this twice, and I thought it both times. But because he's run away from rehab, Gary King has, or he's run away from AA or whatever, is it like one final bender, and it's like a it's a suicide mission as well, or is that too dark? Is that is it not saying that because he's going to drink everything, do the thing that he failed to do when he was young, and and then he doesn't care what happens to him after that point? Or is that a bit much? No, I think you're right. I think there's an element of an alcoholic only really thinking about that next drink, where it's coming from and not, you know, what happens after that or the next day or the morning after. But also, um, they've certainly talked about the fact that, you know, what he dresses up in is his goth Sisters of Mercy gear from when he was a teenager. And I think the suggestion is that he wasn't wearing that every day since. He doesn't wear that normally. But it's like almost like, you know, in like, I think it's a few good men it happens or some of those American army films where in general um, dresses up in his full uniform and then pulls out his his revolver and shoots himself in the head. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's the idea here is that he's going into battle for this one final push and then that's it. I think he is planning to drink himself to death that night. And actually, ultimately, he does kill himself at the end of the film. Um, But it's by twisting off the head of his younger version rather than actually dying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of clever little bits and pieces. I watched it three times this week, and I'm still spotting things. But we don't have to go into them all because we'll be here all bloody day. <laughs> um, so yeah, they they kick off in the first post, and we won't go through every pint, obviously, because there's twelve of them. But you know, it's a lot of uh, the friends arguing, reconnecting, and arguing about um, things in their past. 
Um, Rosamund Pike shows up as Sam, who who both Gary and Steve had a crush on. Um, we meet Mad Basil talking about UFOs, but he he's the one that's got it figured out what's going on in the town because slowly but surely we start figuring out that the the so-called villains of the piece, the blanks, are, are in the pubs that they're going to. And what did you think of the 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 way they were presented, the uh, the sort of alien invaders? See, this is what I'm trying to tell you about those pubs in Blackburn. Like this, I read a bit too much into this film, but. What I'm the what I'm trying to say is in certain small towns, if you go into the wrong pub and you say the wrong thing, everyone turns around and stares at you, and you're in big trouble, and you need to leave very very quickly. That's my experience of drinking as a teenager, apart from in protected spaces like the cellar bar. Yeah. So I got it. It's like it's like the slaughtered lamb in um, yeah. American Werewolf in London when they walk in, uh, or or literally any Western ever where yeah. a stranger <laughs> comes through the swing doors and everyone stops doing it. The guy playing the piano stops playing the piano and just everyone looks around. There used to be a pub, uh, there used to be a pub uh, near where I live and uh, we'd never been in it. And everyone was like, why do we ever go in that pub? And people were like, oh, you don't want to go in that pub. And I was like, I want to go in that pub. I've drunk in every other pub in this place. I'm going to go in that pub. Um, it had frosted windows and we walked in and like literally everyone, like there were about seven old boys who literally, I, I've said literally a lot, but they genuinely looked like they, they'd grown out of bar stools and become <laughs> human. Like it was organic. It was like there was no end to the seat. And <laughs> like, and they were sitting there and they all just looked at us in a way that was like, we're not just like surprised to see you. We don't want you here. Please leave. And we didn't even order a drink. We just left. And forevermore, pubs with frosted windows that I can't see in, I will not go in. Frosted windows and net curtains, those are you two uh, red flags um, because they really don't want you to see what's going on in there. But you see, you're braver than me because it is a hard thing to do to walk in and then think we've got to leave. And I've walked into many pubs where it's like, I'm not welcome in this space and I should leave, but I never leave <laughs> because I don't want them to win. So I always order a fucking drink and then drink it really quickly and then I leave. It does capture though that feeling of alienation you get when you go home or return to your hometown and it all feels different. And I think initially you're trying to figure out whether the place has changed or whether it's it's you that's changed. Uh, and I think that's something that everyone experiences. Or yeah. is it just me? No, no, it's not just you. I just don't go back enough <laughs> to experience it um, any more than like once every five years. Yeah, I did it last year with my mates. We went back to York and... and I mean, you know you're going to experience that, but it is funny when you're... It is strange when you are in it at the time and and certain pubs you went to just aren't the change or or have become sort of homogenized like you know there's a lot about the starbucking of 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 small towns in this film and and yeah I, we definitely felt that with a couple of places that we went to yeah i think it must be sad that uh, today we live in a time where people well aren't going to be able to do that because i the play the pubs i used to drink in the pig and whistle and leeds that went years ago uh, got shut down and then the mansion in roundy park became a, a restaurant and wedding venue instead of an actual pub so you can't drink there anymore so both the pubs that i mainly used to drink in i can't revisit and have that wave of nostalgia wash over me oh but you've Thanks. got new pubs now that. haven't you alex you've got new pubs now yeah i do i do and i protect them <laughs> um including including although i've jumped ahead including the famous cock did you guys notice that the the, the, the oh, pub shit. in this film is the famous yeah. cock which we frequent because it's near our studio, and that is the only famous cock uh, pub in the UK. Is it? 
Yeah. Or, or it certainly was when this film was being made, because Edgar says on the on the commentary, which I guess was 2003, he said that he lived in Islington near it, and uh, he had to phone them up to ask permission to use their name. No. So, so that connects this podcast very directly to, to this movie. Oh, do you know, it's a sign, isn't it, of luck. I never thought I'd miss that pub, but I do miss that pub. <laughs> they had a great Maybe selection pub. of beers. It was the fact, I, I guess it was the... I get that TVs are important in pubs that play sports and I don't mind like three or four or seven like TVs on the walls, but they had one in every booth. Like, like don't talk, watch this. It was a bit much. Do you know what I did last time we were in there? And this was like just pre-lockdown, so I was feeling a bit strange. You know the nice barman who always serves us and he's like quite tall, he's always really friendly. He was looking really smart and I think he'd like lost a bit of weight or something. Anyway, just out of nowhere, I went up to order our drinks. I said, you look good, (laughs) which I did not mean to. I didn't mean for it to come out like that. And then he looked at me and he was like, okay thanks i was like oh shit like I, yeah we're not friends are we but it's because of the lockdown thing i was like oh, i'm not gonna see you for ages and i don't want to be shy with my feelings i want to tell you if, if you look good you look good so i should be able to say it to you but it didn't land so we can't go back there now was that Did lady there it's... who told you to stop speaking so loud no she wasn't <laughs> <laughs> no, is that why we don't drink there anymore because you got told off uh yeah it is it was awful Right, back to the film. Yep, sorry. We slagged yeah. off our, our local enough. Um, <laughs> so uh, it slowly becomes clear that these blanks have kind of infiltrated uh, Newton Haven and some people are robots, essentially. They've been replaced by robots and other people are humans who have gone along uh, with the robots. And we first discussed that they're robots via a pretty spectacular uh, fight sequence in a bathroom where... Um, it becomes clear that you can knock their heads off, smash their heads like eggs, pull their arms off, and they're kind of like action figures is what Edgar said he was going for, that it was like, you know, uh, pulling apart your action man when you're a little kid. But um, what did you think of the action in the film? Uh, repetitive, but fun. Um, well, both... Yeah. I don't want to get into it too much because I, I get into it when we come to my bits later. But I, I really enjoyed the um, the action sequences. I thought they were they were really good. Um, I, a couple of other things uh, while we're talking about the the robots, though, I, I do think um, when Nick Frost has finally started drinking in this, and I feel for him at the start. I mean, like going to the pub and being teetotal is is one thing, but going on a pub crawl and like that first pint of water that you order and you're thinking, I- I'm going to watch these people get steadily more drunk and I'm going to be sober and I'm going to drink 12 pints of water mm-hmm. over the course of an afternoon. It's just, there's something heartbreaking about that. But I do like the fact that they make a point of him saying, you know, like how difficult it is to order a pint of water, and he uses the rugby analogy. You're a sportsman, Chris. You might have some point of reference for this. I don't, but I do get what he's saying, where uh, he talks about uh, it takes balls to be able to walk past all your rugby mates and go up to the bar and order a pint of water. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit forced there. He talks about rugby players in terms of them having painted faces, uh, which is a bit of a stretch. But it's just there so that at the, the final scene of the film, uh, that's exactly what Gary King does, is he walks into a pub full of big, ugly blokes with painted faces and orders water. Oh, yeah. Good, yeah. good. Yeah. 
Uh, and, but as I was saying, it, the Nick Frost line when he goes, uh, when he's like, they're all drunk and they're coming up with names for the blanks before they settle on blanks. And he goes, nothing that's been said in the last five minutes is better than smashy, smashy Eggman. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it, uh, talking about the drinking and being teetotal, um, uh, Bill Nye's teetotal. And actually when, when Edgar offered him the part, he did... He did say to him, "You're not. Are you going to be taking the fun out of um, rehab and alcoholism?" And I think it's you know it's twelve pubs because they're supposed to represent the twelve steps of rehabilitation. And say that I again. Think it, the twelve. It's 12 he, pub- you're going to take. No, not that bit. Bill Nye said you're going to be. Are you going to be taking the fun out of alcoholism? No. The, are you? Will you be taking the piss out of alcoholism and rehab? Oh, sorry. Yeah, oh, because he's okay, teetotal. Okay, okay. Okay. He's teetotal himself, and so it does have quite a strong anti-drinking message in this film, even though uh, drinking does look like a lot of fun in this film as well, and they all become better fighters the more they drink. (laughs) So along the way, they go to a school disco. Oh, fuck that school disco. I've DJed a school disco. You are. (laughs) I bet you have, Alex. (laughs) <laughs> oh man, it, that looks like the. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the the scene, but that is my literal fucking nightmare. You couldn't pay me enough money to get me to go to one of them in a million million years. I like the music, but just the thought of it makes my skin crawl. They they paid me enough money to DJ at one. Oh shut up! Oh, did you dress as a headmaster and bring a cane? No, they said I didn't have to dress up, so I was like, cool, not going to. They, I, I tend to err on the side of like what Vicky's saying that's it's it's enforced fun it's like yeah I'm like I yeah it's not that it's it's that but it's also I'm very suspicious of anyone that was like or just a bit like oh what is wrong with you like school was the best time of your life that is foolish and incorrect and why would we want to recreate a school disco no Again, that's the plot of the film, though, isn't it? School was the best days of this guy's life. Yeah. I do wonder what Americans thought of the school disco, though, because I think it's quite a British thing. And I, to be honest, I feel like it's done now. I think maybe it was a bit of a thing in the 2000s, but like, yeah. I don't think they still have, you know, clubbing school discos, but it was just a very weird five years where people thought that was a normal thing yeah. to do. Yeah, I tell you what I did go to around the time that school discos like this were popular was... Um... It was called White Wedding and it was meant to be like the cheesiest wedding you'd ever been to. And that was fucking amazing. <laughs> so everyone that sounds like a great idea. It's brilliant. Um, it wasn't far from here. It was somewhere oh, it was somewhere near Archway. And everyone would dress up in like, the, we'd go down the charity shop, get like a cheap wedding dress or whatever. Um, and there was a buffet. <laughs> it was so good. And it's the same music as a school disco, but you don't have to wear like a slutty skirt and get off with someone dreadful. Um, you ate... A, you ate buffet food at a nightclub. Are you mad? <laughs> I know. I've just realised how awful that is. It's yeah. disgusting. That is disgusting. Food just... that's been sitting out, finger food, at a bloody nightclub oh. and a cheesy nightclub at that, with yeah. people pouring at little sausage rolls. Yeah. I feel sick. That is exactly what it was like. You made me feel sick. You know those little cocktail sausages that are already quite shriveled? It was, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, but then, but room temperature, yum. Uh, that was in the bee. Uh, the mermaid was where the school disco happens, where the uh, the girls in school uniforms are kind of like sirens luring them to their death. But then they move on to the beehive where we <laughs> meet uh, yeah. Mr. Shepherd, played by Pierce Brosnan. Uh, 
and I'm a big fan of his scene in this because I just really love the the drunk acting the guys do when they they're in the company of their old teacher. Yeah. And when he asked he asked them to use his first name and they giggle like little kids. I <laughs> thought that was so realistic. It's really good. <laughs> Uh, and he oh, starts... we, we skipped over another great acting bit, though. Um, you realise how good Eddie Marzan is. That speech he gives about the bully who didn't recognise him. When I think about this movie and I try and remember really good moments from it, that bit is great where yeah. he talks about how he didn't even recognise him. He just looked right through him. Mm. You really go, yeah. whoa, change of tone. And then, you know, just as it's getting sincere, Simon Pegg undercuts it with... Um, Something else, I can't remember. Shots, that's right, shots. <laughs> yeah, and again, that's based on uh, Edgar Wright had that exact experience back in Wales when, when one of his old bullies uh, didn't recognise him a few years later and he felt he felt uh, upset. He, he, he couldn't understand why that upset him so much, which, again, I think that's quite, as you say, it's quite a telling and true moment, isn't it? It feels quite honest. It does, yeah. and it's also around it though. Is the minute they have shots, and um, when Nick Frost does like five, six shots in a row, and I'm like, "That's more like it." I like that. <laughs> Not pints. Pints. It's like I said, it's just too much liquid. You can cut through the need to spend three hours plus drinking pints by just drinking five shots in a row. That uh, is Alex, the Alex. Yeah. Can I can I just pick you up on something there? Um. So. You would, you would, you would get tequila, wouldn't you? I've, I've seen this in action. Maybe I you would, would get your I, shots I, of tequila, and then mezcal, you would have actually. them. I'd have mezcal now. Mezcal, mezcal. Like yeah, yeah. Thank you. And then what happens? It's not good, man. Maybe you should be having the pints. What are you talking about? It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, did you ever hear of the legend of David Boone? This was big for me when I was growing up. He was an Australian cricketer. Uh, like a proper one, he played for Australia, and he was. Uh, he, we always heard about this when I was at school. He was said to have, in 1989, on a flight from Sydney to London, drunk 52 cans of beer. <laughs> uh, and I think he ended up in like the World Book of the Guinness Book of Records for doing it. Um, and he's still alive, so in- inspiring, <laughs> inspirational. <laughs> uh, and so, um, yeah, uh, uh, Mr. Shepherd, uh, his name is Shepherd, obviously, because he's quite a sort of all about the herd mentality. Um, he is he starts explaining to them uh, what the blanks are doing, or we learn that they're called the network, actually. And uh, I mean, are they villains, really? Or are they have they got a point? Are they doing something perhaps for the good of mankind? I don't know. I kind of I don't I... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it all gets a bit confusing. I personally, I'm far more interested, like at this point, in Simon Pegg's journey. Like, yeah. I don't know whether I mentioned at the start that, like, Gary King is one of my, if not my favorite Pegg performance. I, I think he's just he's brilliant as this character. Uh, I think he's great, and yeah. I, I'm sort of more interested. I think the network are like a useful, like uh, MacGuffin to like allow us to understand Gary King but I'm not particularly interested in whether what they're doing is right or wrong as much as I am interested in Gary King telling them to fuck off yeah I agree fair enough I will leave the network alone then um so we do you you talk about uh Gary's journey when we get to that final pub or is it the penultimate pub I think um Gary and Andy Simon and Nick have 
what is their first fight in all three films, which I hadn't realised. Apparently people would get a bit sad and emotional seeing the two of them finally kicking shit out of each other. Did you feel that, Alex? Uh, I'll tell you what I felt in that moment. I felt annoyed that in that fight, Simon Pegg loses his last pint, and then when he goes to refill the glass, the pump doesn't work, and I'd be livid... And then I noticed all the bottles of spirits behind him, and I was like, ah, you could have spirits, so yeah, that's okay. You'd be all right, exactly. This is the thing, you've yeah. both got it, but you don't have to choose between pints and shots. You can have both. That isn't the point the that he wants to drink glass. 12 pints. <laughs> the same and... glass, yes! What's that, that torpedo? The... Amazing. <laughs> uh, what is that? Has that got a name? I once had vodka with a beer mixer, which was fairly unpleasant. Yeah, a torpedo. So, yeah, is that what it's called? I, I didn't... Uh, oh, right, 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 right. Where you actually drop the whole shot glass. In. Yeah. Yeah. I went through a horrible it... period of doing Jaeger bombs. Like, mm. this was a while ago, just for reference, where you'd put the shot of Jaeger in yep. the glass of Red Bull. Yum. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it was actually. I don't know. I this is really the thing. I don't like right them, now. but if anyone ever says to me, do you want a Jaeger bomb? I say yes. I never, ever, ever say no, which is problematic. But they are gross, and I would never order one for myself, but I would never turn one down. Uh, but isn't the point that he? it has to be 12 pints for him? He has to get that 12 pint. And then isn't the point That's also true. that he that he shouldn't get that final pint? Like, the very purposely, they will not let him have that final pint. He doesn't yeah. complete his mission. Yeah. Yeah. I just remembered I got into an argument with a guy. I went to a cocktail bar once and I ordered a Jaeger bomb and he went, well, not that kind of bar. And I was livid. I was like, literally, look look outside the window. Where are you? Where do you think this bar is? This bar isn't in a nice area. This bar isn't like we're a cocktail bar. I'm like, you can make a Jaeger. Have you got the ingredients? Yeah, you've got the fucking ingredients for a Jaeger bomb. So you're not making it on principle. Whatever your principles are, they're wrong. Make me a fucking Jaeger bomb. You were in a Weatherspoons in South End, and then you got the shit kicked out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what happened, idiot? <laughs> Weatherspoons carpet tastes gross. <laughs> so uh, we get to the world's end, and uh, Bill Nye appears as the voice of God. Uh, I think this scene really captures the frustration of arguing with a drunk person. Um when they are going back and forth. But I don't know, did you uh, did you feel like it's a bit of an anticlimax for an action comedy to kind of end on on what is essentially uh, an argument? Yeah, I don't like this scene. Not one bit. Um, I love hearing Bill Nye's voice, but a long negotiation, just first of all, what happened to show, don't tell, to prove that humans are ridiculous is, and it's, I mean, if it was quick, I'd be like, okay, it's a bit of a cop out, but fine. It's not, it's long and it's all talking and then they just pack up and leave. It's like, really? I don't know. There's, there are things that they could have picked up along the way, tokens, I don't know what they are, to show the aliens how ridiculous human beings are, not to talk to them about it and convince them to leave. But I think the point is, a bit like what Chris said, <laughs> it's like, it's a drunk argument. And the fact that Gary's drunk and like, you say stupid things when you're drunk and ultimately, did he really want the network to leave? Like, had he thought it through or was he just like so belligerently sticking to his point of view that he ended up doing what he did? I don't know. I've, I totally understand where you're coming from, V. And a lot of people have said to me when I've talked to them about this scene, which I really like, they're like, it goes on too long. And it is a long conversation. But... 
I like that. I quite like the fact that it's like, you know, the film ends with a man debating with like three lights in the sky. Um, <laughs> I'm quite into that. <laughs> and so the network leave and then we have a prologue uh, in which we learn that um, the network left with all the technology. And so we're in kind of a technological apocalypse now, um, sending us all back to uh, the Dark Ages. Um uh, the blanks rebooted and they're kind of like, I there's some weird stuff going on. I don't really understand the point they're trying to make about uh, are the blanks like second class citizens experience, experiencing racism now. And is is Gary kind of championing that by leading a group of them around in a sort of Mad Max style? I was try- I can't really understand what the, the ending's telling me. A- any thoughts about that? No, I just, I don't know. Um, it, I like the fact that they've got... I like Nick Frost sitting around the fire, but I've no idea what it was trying to say. It, it's it's for... It's the setup for the final joke, which we've talked about, which is brilliant, about Nick, uh, Simon Pegg going into the bar and doing the manliest thing in the world, which is ordering five glasses of water. Um, and he's got his shit together, and that's great. But that's kind of, I think the whole thing is a setup for that joke. And to go back to the nostalgia thing, I, um, I know the whole thing is like, nostalgia's bad, is what you said earlier, but... He's standing in that bar and the blanks he's got with him are the blanks of his 15, 16-year-old uh, school friends. Like, So he's basically got his gang back together. They're just like mm. the kids, like the blank versions of the 16-year-olds. And so nostalgia's kind of worked out for him because he seems happy and he's not drinking anymore and he's got his friends back, but they're blanks. Yeah, so... So although the message of the film is don't look back, don't go back, for Gary, actually, uh, he got what he wanted by that actually happening. So uh, is it a big, fat contradiction? I don't know. I think it's just so... I know they were never going to make a sequel, but for me it screams, ooh, sequel, because I quite like this sort of post-apocalyptic Mad Max world with a human and blank war and Gary leading his blanks uh, into battle against these, like, thugs... It, but yeah, I think I just sort of attached like, oh, I wonder what's next to everything without mm-hmm. ever sort of considering the fact it'll never be a thing. Never be. Uh, any any more for any more about that one before we get to the bits? Um, the drinks joke, uh, the Dr. Ink, where he goes, <laughs> I've got to see, uh, got an appointment with Dr. Ink. Um that's an actual bar in London, or it used to be on the South Bank called Dr. Inks that um, I think actually Edgar uh, Wright saw it. And that's where he got oh. the idea for that joke from in the film. Uh, so it's called, I actually looked it up. So I was like, I wonder if it's still there. It's not. It's called Fountain and Ink now, which is a travesty in the world of puns. <laughs> um, uh, and that's it. Yeah. I live on I, the, I, I live on this. Go on. I like the fact that in terms of inspirations as well, the the appearance of the blanks was inspired by that um, famous Drew Struzan poster of the thing with all the light coming out of, of uh, a face. You know the one, Alex? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, that's really interesting. Which is very cool because that never actually happens in the thing. That is a completely made up image, not from the film, but mm. it, it could be the poster for this film rather than that film. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. That's, that's very true. And the other bit of trivia I thought was uh, a bit weird, but I liked it, was that the, the when the Mayan calendar predicted the end of the world, the date they set was December the 21st, uh, 2012, 
which is the day principal photography ended on the world's end. So they did actually predict the end of the world correctly. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) That is enough of that, Chris Tilly. Shut up. (laughs) That's maybe the best trivia I've done, so thanks. (laughs) All right, let's jump on to the bits. Uh, Vicky, what was your favourite scene? It's a very small thing, but when Rosamund Pike and Simon Pegg are on a rooftop and she says, oh, look, there's my car. How will we get down? And he's like, watch this. And he jumps onto her car. <laughs> and, and you think he's going to roll off it. It's going to be super cool. And obviously every single window smashes and he sets the alarm off and he's like, put his back out. It's very funny. Oh, I agreed. I That's mean, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are brilliant physical comedians, aren't they? We, I think we've said it before, but I mean, they are up there with the best. Uh, Alex, your favourite scene? Uh, the bar brawl, the third one. So not the toilet brawl, not the beer garden brawl, but the big, big bar brawl with Pierce Brosnan. In I just think it's a wonderfully choreographed fight scene, and it's great. And when Nick Frost like rips his shirt open and grabs the bar stools, and it's like <laughs> game on. I love that, and I love the joke, which is a joke that I've always loved in everything where there's a man with a drink, in this case, Simon Pegg has got his beer and he's fighting while simultaneously trying to drink his drink and not spill it. And everything (laughs) he's doing is an afterthought to not spilling his drink. I find that inspiring. Uh, Do you know what, Alex? That is mine as well. Um, Gary being focused on saving his pint rather than uh, punching out blanks. Uh, I went for (laughs) Um, And it's very much in the style of Jackie Chan. Uh, and his movies, and that's no coincidence, as the stunt coordinator is Brad Allen, who's the only um, uh, American person who works on Jackie Chan movies and is part of that stunt team. So uh, there's obviously inspirations there in terms of the choreography of the fights in this and that humour is, is directly taken from Jackie Chan. But I agree, the uh, the rescuing of the pint is very, very clever. Uh, Vicky, MVW. Oh, like by a country mile, it's Nick Frost. I think he's amazing in this, like really amazing. Because he always is like Simon Pegg, sort of goofy, lovable, like big bloke sidekick. But you put a book, like a really good pair of glasses on him and fuck yes, he's a corporate lawyer. And yes, he can fight his way out of a pub. And yes, I believe that Gary King just let him down and bailed on their friendship. And I think it's really good that they don't revert to the type of like when Nick Frost was a teenager, he was like maybe the bigger kid and Gary King like took him under his wing. It's just that they were both having a laugh and his best mate let him down and he turned his life around and became this like ice cold corporate lawyer badass but then as you said when he like throws that bar stool across um pierce brosnan it's like i fucking hate this town i think he's brilliant yeah and i think i mean i think this is the least uh popular of, of this trilogy of films and i think there was people did have a problem with their roles being being reversed i don't think people liked it and gave it a proper chance but as you say it's the best acting i think uh, both of them do in any of these films by quite a long shot yeah uh alex yeah um on that note this is just while we're talking about people not liking this or this being the least popular of the cornetto trilogy this is my favorite of the cornetto trilogy more so Mm. than even Shaun of the dead i absolutely love this movie i've seen Shaun of the dead a lot of times but i've seen this more i would always go to this film first if i wanted a bit of peg and frost uh my mvw is simon peg and uh 
what we were just saying. I know a lot of people, like, there were a few raised eyebrows, like, Peg is playing, like, a bit of a dick in this movie. But I think, like, he plays Gary King, like, as, yes, monstrous, but sort of so lovable and sympathetic. And when you think of some of the things he does and says and how horrendous a person he is at moments during this, the fact that, like, your heart, like, breaks for him at the end when he's like, it's all I've got. Um, I just think he's fantastic. So it's Simon Pegg as Gary King. That's my did MBW. You, did you see some of yourself in Gary King? Yep. Yeah. I, I did as well. Yeah. And and it makes it quite an uncomfortable film to watch. Sorry, and again, you saw, because you saw Alex in him or because you saw yourself? No, no. So I saw some of myself. <laughs> I'm trying to be genuine for one. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, and I think, again, that's what people had a problem with because... I think the first two films as well celebrate being a man child. And then this one um, kind of it takes the opposite point of view that maybe it isn't so good to be like this if you're in your 30s. And of course, a lot of fans uh, would be that same person. And so I think it's a tough watch, actually, at times. I, I, I quite change. I, I wanted to ask you, Vicky, though. I mean, all these three films are about uh, uh, man children, basically. Uh, as a woman watching this, by the third one, were you like, "Oh, come on, lads, just turn over the record"? Like, do you feel like it's kind of no, because, home and, no, and being I, so male centric as well? Uh, no, be, um, but I suppose it's the credit to the to the two the central performances. So everyone is good in this, but like Nick Frost, I think is particularly good, and Simon Pegg is really good. And it's what Alex has just said as well about it. It does provide tries to give a um, a grown up colder to the two the two films before it were like being you know boyish and a man child or whatever is all there is and it's a great laugh and you'll never have to grow up and i think it does it should do it more it doesn't it doesn't focus enough but we're having the distraction with the robots it doesn't focus enough on the um, emotional heart of what those two people are going through um and it just i find someone like gary king really recognizable as well like there are a lot of there are a lot of men that do that thing when they're walking in front of you and then they walk backwards for a bit to make sure you're still watching and then they walk forwards again. And I find that... I just recognise him, that's all. No, it's not you. Wait, what, what, what does that mean, what, Alex? Do you know what she's talking about? Who walks backwards and then forwards? Are they moonwalking? Listen, when watch watch the scene where they're walking through the town centre and Gary King's out in front and he's in front, right? And then without checking where he's going, he turns around and he walks backwards to see that his friends are still watching him. And he's like, I'm leading you. And then he turns back around again. And it's just a really cocky confidence thing that a lot of men do because they're not going to fall. They've got great balance, I suppose. And they're not going to fall over. And it's just little touches like that. Maybe you didn't notice it. Maybe you do it all the time. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I don't think I didn't, I was, I didn't have enough of, um, this shtick by film three. No, it was fine. Yeah. I, I, I told Simon Pegg that I, I really liked the film and that I saw so much of myself in Gary and I thought he'd go, oh great. You know, he's this every memory great, but he, he looked and seemed genuinely concerned for me, <laughs> which, which made me then suddenly genuinely concerned for myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, He's obviously teetotal now, Simon Pegg. He, you know, he he wrote that that big piece about you know actually giving up alcohol and how he was drinking too much. So maybe at that point, you know, when he was doing this, he was. Uh, I think in the timeline, he was possibly still drinking, and so that was, the concern was genuine because maybe he saw himself and Gary King. Maybe you saying, "I see myself." Gary King is like, man, <laughs> like I know how bad that is. 
yeah, I've, I, honestly, I felt that <laughs> from his eyes, the way he looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, my MVW, well, I like, I like Bill Nye's The Voice of God. So if, if slash when I die, um, I would like him to meet me at the pearly gates. Uh, but I'm going to copy you from the last one, Vicky, and I'm going to go for the soundtrack. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I just love it. Primal oh, Screen shit. Blur, Suede, Pulp, yeah. Teenage Fan Club. Even stuff like Teenage Fan Club and Spiral Carpets that were not maybe the bigger bands of that era, but they were the best bands. And uh, yeah, I just, this this was my playlist then, and it probably is still now. <laughs> The bit where Loaded comes on by Primal Scream at the start after the montage, and I was like, I'm, I'm back. I'm hearing this movie. That and the music cue of So Young by oh Sway. That walking. is so good. Oh, oh that's my God. such a good scene. Oh. That was I wanted so to good. Seat. I wanted to be up walking with them when that happened. But it's uh, for me that my memory of that song isn't like I love a power walk, I love a slow mo walk. But that that out that whole album, that song isn't that to me. But to see it done like that, which is it's like to have a different view on that song, amazing. And and obviously, like the the lyrics and the titles of the songs are telling the story a bit like the pubs, but it doesn't feel shoehorned at all. Like they all feel like natural natural fits. Even the fact that it's Kylie Minogue doing Step Back in Time for the school disco, <laughs> it's perfect on yeah. every single level. Uh, so yeah, I'm going for the soundtrack. And uh, what would you change, Vicky? Uh, since we're talking about um, female characters, can we please not have Rosamund Pike saying "Oh crumbs" like a fucking <laughs> like Richard Curtis sap English rose fucking bullshit? No one talks like that apart from primary school teachers, which I don't uh, think she is. Vicky, you've not met Rosamund Pike, have you? <laughs> She would definitely say, oh, crumbs. Really? No, that's a shit, because I like Rosalind Pike. (laughs) Well, don't hold it against her. I do. She let us all down. Let's us all down. Anyway, that's my one change. Bloody hell. Uh, Alex? Um, Mine would be the end. Uh, Not for the Mm. reasons that we were discussing earlier about Simon Pegg's um, bit in the pub and what that's supposed to signify. It's actually the fact that I kind of I want everyone to have a happy ending and the ending doesn't really do that for me. It poses more questions than it does answer. So obviously Paddy and uh, Paddy Considine and Rosamund Pike have a happy ending. They get to live in a shack together. It's a very nice shack. Eddie Marsden in theory does and Martin Freeman in theory does. But here's my question. I don't really understand whether these blank versions of themselves have retained the consciousness of um the original version like i don't understand like did the i know they talk about mulching the originals so are they dead or does this new blank version like remember they were mulched and then that but they're happy to be back and they are the original person just a blank version of the original person you know where does the consciousness of one end and the new one begin i also don't think Nick Frost gets a very happy ending compared to everyone else. If we assume that Martin Freeman's is a happy ending, he gets to go back to his job and Eddie Marzan gets to go back to his kids. Peg gets to become this warrior. And um, Nick Frost is like sort of left like tending vegetables and longing for the world as it was before. And it's kind of uh, fairly bleak. And considering he was instrumental in saving Gary and he was the one who... Gary screwed over and came back for him. You kind of want him to have a happier ending than he does. I don't think the film's fair 
to him hasn't he, in the end. Hasn't he got his family back, though, which was what he wanted? Yeah, but he even delivers that bit and it's sort of like got the wife back, got yeah, the kids it's back. Quite it's sort of, he, yeah. yeah. And then he's sort of doing that story sitting in front of some graffiti that says to err is human, to forgive divine. Like obviously Simon Pegg said, does that brilliant err uh, joke in the speech with Bill Nye, but like the forgive is highlighted. So it's almost like he's in a community that are desperate for the network to come back and forgive like the humans and Gary and what happened and give them their technology back. So it's almost like he gets the bleakest of all endings, which I don't think fits with how much good stuff that character does. Good shout. That's right, my... Uh, my change would be uh, the fact that when Pete is being attacked by the blanks, uh, they don't go to help him. Uh, and they use the line, it's when they're in the forest, they use the line, someone says there's too many of them. Yeah. But they've just taken out a lot more than that number in the pub. And so I think it seems quite cowardly of them. And we really love Pete by this point. And I think even if they were defeated, I would have liked to have seen them go and try and save their friend. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, Are that's we done? the bit's done. Yeah. Okay, so, oh my God. Vicky? Yeah, I've got a really great quiz. Are you excited? Mm. You should ever start with that as a statement. I feel I so we'll confident. Judges. All right. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. So how well do you know each other when it comes to the end of the world? Last night, I asked you both a set of questions and now you're going to guess each other's answers. So it's a little bit like Mr. and Mrs., but it's more sort of end times focus. And also we're not on a Hindu, which is a fucking shame. But here we go. Are you oh. ready? <laughs> Shut up. I'm just going to throw this out there. I can't remember my own answers, so it's unlikely I'm going to remember Chris's. You can't, you're not remembering Chris's, you're guessing Chris's, okay? Alex oh, never oh, understands Chris. the bloody quizzes. It's, it's <laughs> not actually every fucking yeah. week. Is he? He's secretly a fucking He's a simpleton. Idiot. He's a simpleton. Yeah. He always says, oh, I'm, a, I'm a simple guy, I'm a simple guy. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, He's you a are. fucking blank. He's a fucking <laughs> blank. <laughs> Right, Chris, I'll so, start with you. Uh, so I'm, get, I'm guessing, I'm getting, so do Shut you want up, me to Alex. try and remember? We, go, we know the joke, Alex. Move on. <laughs> Chris, I'll start with you as the brains of the operation. Okay, so Chris, I asked Alex to imagine it's the end of the world, only he's yeah. got a place in a bunker to hide from it all. Lucky him. What did he answer? All right, so I'm going to ask you the questions that I asked him and then you just got to guess his answer. And then I'll do the same for you, Alex, and the person that gets the most right or I decide they're the winner. Are you ready? So I said to Alex, he can take one thing from his house on the way to his bunker. What did he say? Oh, uh, his dog. Correct. Oh, my God. Tip. (laughs) Uh, I'm in the dog. Alex Simon answered, the dog is the right Simon answer. The dog, right yeah. answer. Okay, question two. Yeah. He is Alex is allowed to take one type of tinned food into the bunker to weigh out the apocalypse. What did he take? Oh, geez, tinned food. Yeah, What's tinned food that Alex would eat. I'd say tinned fruit. Oh my god, so... you're right. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, he said uh, pineapple slices. I'm going to give you that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, you've, got to, you've got to keep healthy. You'd keep you healthy, wouldn't it? <laughs> Damn right. Yeah, you've got some vitamin C in there and they work yeah. well with savoury or yeah. sweet. Correct. Bosh. I'm so glad you think that. I hate it when people won't mix sweet and savoury. What? Oh, me? People. Never, 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 never. You never mix sweet and savoury? No. It's that says madness. so much about uh, how you, you experience never, You never life. had chat. 
Jam on toast, Chris. No. <laughs> Don't want pineapple on my pizza. Oh, God. All right. Keep right. Um, away from me. Go on. Final question. Alex is allowed to take one person to keep him company in the bunker. Who is he taking? Oh. His mum? <laughs> Incorrect. Alex's answer is... <laughs> Alex answered Anton Chigurh. Um... <laughs> Which is anyone... one, I was never going to guess it. No, you were never going to guess that. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, that's the baddie from No Country for Old Men. <laughs> Damn well done, Chris. straight. So, what was the reasoning behind that? I want to hear the reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Well, as we've just proved at the start of this quiz, I am aware of how irritating I can be. So people in that bunker with me are going to want to kill me first, but not if my best buddy, Anton, is with me with his air gun. No (laughs) one's going to touch me. And also, if like me and him are sort of like in one room hanging and other people are in another room, like he ain't a big talker. So, therefore, I'm not going to have him in my face all the time going, hey, what do you think about being in this bunker? Oh, the bunker is good, isn't it? I'd be like, shut up, man. And he'd be like, okay, I'll flip a coin. Oh, I've shut up. I'd be like, yeah, exactly. Shut up. Yeah. Okay, great. So, uh, Chris, you got two out of three, which is a really, really strong performance. Let's see if Alex can do any better. Alex, have you understood the rules of the quiz now? Can I put some questions to you? Are you ready? Alex. True. Wait. (laughs) Alex, I asked Chris to imagine it's the end of the world, only he's running for his life on the fire-strewn streets. Poor him. What did he answer? (laughs) No room at the inn, Chris. Go on. Okay, where is the first place he would head for? False. (laughs) Do you want to guess again? (laughs) Where's the first place he would head for? Yeah. Um, I... Crystal Palace football ground. Oh, that's a good answer. Incorrect, unfortunately. Chris would head for the studio to do a last podcast inspired by the fire consuming the world and making the world end. Can you guess what the podcast would be? The episode... Uh, Go on. Would you... Can I guess what the podcast would be? What Explain would I... the question. It would be our podcast, you know, the one we do every week. Um, and it would yeah. be two films that were fire themed. So something versus something. What would he choose? Uh, Backdraft and the Towering Inferno. Oh, so close. Backdraft versus Ladder 49. Anyway, you got the question wrong. Let's not worry about that. Okay, second question. Chris passes a home base on his way to the studio. What weapon does he take from home base? Wallpaper. (laughs) No, incorrect. I'm going to... Wait, wait, hang on. Is it... Oh, is there options? Go on. Give me more of a clue. I, I, to be honest, I really want to, but I don't understand his answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this is. What he's, So I just have to read it verbatim, but I don't know what this means. Do you want me to read it? He said to me yep. he would take a Stanley 131-piece tool set because it's practical, lethal, doesn't require too much power, and it's not too heavy. And I don't know what that is. What do you not understand about that, Vicky? <laughs> How... It's a set of 131 tools. Is it, I, I didn't even it's know there was t- 131 tool tools kit. in the world. But there's not 131 tools in the whole world, is there? Like, there's... Yeah, I've, I've got seven screwdrivers, so that's seven. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing from this that you didn't do what I did, uh, Vicky, which was go on the home base website and actually figure out exactly what I wanted. You no, I did not up. do that. 
And also Chris said he'd nab a log cabin and a hot tub for when this Armageddon thing all blows over. So that's nice. Final question. Uh, what one thing would Chris trade sexual favours for with a demented biker gang? Uh, like a glass of water, some, like a, a, someone's hair, like anything, just like an, any... He probably would just... What would what would he? Do you mean what would he give them? What would he? Yeah. What would he take from them? Um, but he's got to trade sexual favors in order to get it. It's like a prize he gets for putting out a handshake. <laughs> no, it's a really good answer. It's actually a bike, which makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you got none. Chris got two. Chris is the winner. And I also wow. really want to it do. Um, I really want to do towering Inferno and backdraft now. That's a great idea. <laughs> so really, the podcast is the winner. Yeah. And also, I think I'm the winner because Chris knows me better than I know him, which seems fair. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Let's very quickly do some clash comments um, because oh, we've got a few okay. this week. Actually, I'll just race through them. Um, they were all uh, on the same line, though. Uh, Alex McCarthy said, uh, this is the end is world-class, seriously underrated. Um, Andrew said, love both these movies, but uh, this is the end, pips it for being utterly funny and watching the stars rip the piss out of their personas, Danny McFucking Bride, you um, For me, it has to be, this is the end. The power of Christ compels you. Jonah Hill gets me every time when he says that. Um, this is the end for me, underrated. Everyone voted for this is the end, pretty much. Well, that's... Uh shouldn't influence us we are our own people um let's do our verdicts you want answers i think i'm entitled you want answers i want the truth i would like to not go first because i'm still on the fence if you can believe that i know that's unlike me i'm normally so certain of my opinions and yet today i'm finding this difficult because i love both these movies would someone else please go first uh, well, I'll go first as Vicky picked the films. Uh, so uh, I love the way, as you said, Alex, I like the way that both these films don't shirk away from it being the end of the world in terms of making the stakes higher, then following through on that promise. Um, and this is the end is ballsy. I like I like the way those guys swing for the fences. And I think it's largely successful and very funny. And it gets extra points for bookending the film with the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> um, but The World's End is... is the concluding part of what be, might be my favourite trilogy. Um, I don't like the moments where it feels like a retread with that, that foreshadowing and the, that th the threat being like a combination of the threat in the first two films. And and I was thinking that maybe Gary is just Sean if Sean hadn't seen the light, you know, that they're quite similar. Uh, but conversely, I like how deep it goes and how dark it goes and the way it resolves the themes of all the movies. Um, while at the same time working as a standalone film. I think that's really hard to do, and I think they nailed it. And because there are times when I feel like it was made for me and me only, I'm going for The World's End. Okay, um, I'll jump in now, <laughs> if that's all right. I totally hear you, Chris, and that's my problem, you see. I feel like The World's End speaks to me as a film, and I relate to it a great deal, uh, for good and for bad reasons, actually, sometimes. But laugh for laugh, pound for pound, enjoyment for enjoyment, I think this is the end, uh, actually, like, is so ridiculously funny 
in a way that perhaps the world's end isn't. I say perhaps. I don't. I don't think the world's end is as funny. <laughs> I don't think it's trying to be as funny. It's not just playing for laughs, which I think this is the end is. So that's my predicament. Do I do I vote for the film that actually um, touches the broken shards of my soul, or do I go that was funny? I like that one, and po- possibly only because I- I'd like to see which way Victoria goes, and because <laughs> I'm on the fence. I'm going to go with this is the end. Okay. Down to you, V. I'm throwing it over to you. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. Um, I really love Edgar Wright's uh, version and vision of England, especially on the pub crawl. Like, I love the fact that it's always about, like, five o'clock and you can tell the day's been really hot and it's somewhere in a village and it just feels so instantly recognisable to me, that sort of place and time and the night ahead of you. And obviously have a lot of... um, a predisposition to being attached to these characters and going on this journey with them. I do think this is the end. There are more laughs in it. Um, but the thing that's decided it for me is the, lo- and it's a really, it's actually quite a little thing, but I can't let it go. It's the logic of the apocalypse and the logic of the apocalypse in the world's end is fractured and starts to unravel. And it doesn't make any sense to me why the robots are not more aggressive. And then they are aggressive and then they kill Eddie Morrison, but they don't seem to kill or choose to kill anyone else. And the end scene with the negotiation with Bill Nye, I can't cope with that scene. So with this is the end, it's just the rapture and that makes sense. And so for that reason, it is, this is the end. We have a winner, the winner, uh, which will please those people who got in touch on Twitter uh, at Clash Comment is, this is the end. Wow. Okay. Chris, how are you feeling about that? I mean, it's fine. It's free will, but maybe, maybe as the <laughs> network think, we shouldn't have free will, so we can get things bloody right. But that's fine. <laughs> you guys be on the wrong side. You guys can be on the wrong side of the history for the second time in two weeks. That's fine. <laughs> I know. I was going to say it's the second week in a row where you're like, well, even going on Twitter, I noticed to bemoan the fact that the wrong film, uh, the right film, didn't win last week. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. I saw that. Picking at the threads of our already fractured relationship. <laughs> I know you, Alex. So let's move you. on to next week. Let's <laughs> let's see what uh, let's see what we're going to do next week. Next week, uh, I'm picking. So here are the movies. Uh, which way? Which way? Which way am I going to do these? Chris, I'm going to give you Fatal Attraction. Ooh, Victoria, sexy. I'm going to give you. Yeah, I'm giving you Basic Instinct. <laughs> oh, sexier. <laughs> it is sexier. <laughs> it is sexier. It really is sexier. All right, those are awesome. your movies. Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct. That's what we're talking about in a week's time from now. Thank you for listening. Please do rate and review us. It means a lot and helps us out a great deal. And also subscribe to us. That would be awesome too. Uh, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back in a week talking Fatal Attraction and Basic Instincts. Bye-bye for now. This was a Stakhanov production. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 